Good morning, and welcome to Midpoint Wednesday. I'm Shelley Reback, your host. We are your mid-Florida, mid-week, mid-morning dose of news and public affairs with a local perspective. You are listening to WMNF 88.5 FM, Tampa Bay's only commercial-free FM radio brought to you by you because we are supported by generous listeners just like you. There's always time to drop us a tip to let us know how we are doing at WMNF.org slash donate and direct your contribution to MPW Midpoint Wednesday and we will be very grateful. Today is November 2nd, and we are less than one week away from what may be the most consequential election in the modern history of the United States. On the one side, you have the Republicans, many, perhaps most of whom, are still in thrall to Donald Trump, still denying the results of the last election. And on the other side, we have the Democrats, who may have peaked too early for this election. Despite an enormous upswing in the U.S. economy, big jobs creation numbers, massive reduction in the deficit, and the promises of the infrastructure bill, lowered medical costs, and the school loan forgiveness program, all brought by the Biden administration, the Democrats are still fighting to get upstream against tough economic consequences of global events that are easy to blame on the party in power. And in many places... The authority of elections themselves are corrupted by partisanship and are questioned by people who think that raw political power grabs are a better way to run the country than democratic elections. So these are very dangerous times for democracy in the United States. Locally, our politics are perhaps calmer, but depending on how our races turn out, we could be in for a bumpy ride. We have at least one, if not two, congressional seats in play, and the U.S. Senate race between Val Demings and Marco Rubio is one to watch. Although Rubio has pulled ahead in the polls, Val still has more funding in the bank to bring to a last-minute media blitz. In the Florida legislature, the danger in this election is that Republicans will finally get their supermajority. And if that happens, it will be full-on defense, no offense at all for the Democrats. If Janet Cruz loses her Senate seat to Jay Collins, and if the Statehouse gains a few more Republicans, is it game over for stopping or amending the truly bad legislation that we can anticipate coming from another DeSantis administration? To help us dissect and prognosticate these races and the others on the board next Tuesday, we have two friends of the show. We have Wendy March, longtime political columnist for the Tampa Bay Times with us. So welcome, Wendy. Hi, Shelley. Nice to be here. And we have political reporter Mitch Perry, who recently left Bay News 9 to rejoin the Florida Phoenix, uh, a nonprofit news website covering state government and politics. Mitch is joining us by phone from Miami, where he was covering Joe Biden's appearance there yesterday. So welcome, Mitch. Are you with us? Good morning, Shelley. Yeah, I am. I'm actually almost back in the Bay Area. I left uh, Miami Gardens early this morning uh, after last night's rally down there. Well, if you are on your way, get off uh, the 275 exit at MLK and (laughs) come to the station and we'll give you a pair of headphones and a mic. Uh, But until then, I'm happy to have you with us by phone. Uh, So both of you gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. 
So, Mitch, let me ask you, how's the atmosphere in South Florida? How does the Vail Demings campaign, for example, uh, or Charlie Chris campaign feel a week out from the environs farther away from our home base here in Tampa Bay? Well, you know, they're saying all the right things, right? I mean, last night, it was interesting about last night's rally is it comes pretty late in the process. Over 3 million Floridians have already voted. And, you know, this was a, a get-out-the-vote rally, really, uh, and held, held at a, a historic, uh, an HGBU in Miami-Dade uh, for Florida Memorial University. Uh, and so it's a, it's a place to really, you know, they wanted to bring, bring the base out. They had a lot of Miami-based politicians, state representatives, local members of the, uh, the, the you know, congressional delegation, Frederica Wilson, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Uh, down speaking, and then of course, uh, Chris and Demings both always spoke for roughly around 10 minutes each, uh, really focusing their re- remarks around abortion, which they, they have throughout this campaign before President Biden was the, uh, the closer, speaking for about 35 minutes. And really, I must say, you know, Biden has not done very many, if any, rallies. I know he's doing it all this last week. It's been very different than other presidents historically in midterm elections. Uh, and so it was just kind of fascinating to see Joe Biden, how he could handle himself up there. He was kind of shouting a lot throughout the, the time up there, but he was he had a lot of energy. I will say that. Well, that's energy. good to hear. That's yeah. good to hear. You know, um, you mentioned something about the fact that uh, three did you say three million voters have already voted in Florida so far? Correct. I mean, traditionally, I guess. There is no more tradition in American politics now. But, you know, historically, uh, Republicans were uh, the voters who voted by mail and uh, the Democrats were the ones who showed up on Election Day. But now that seems to have shifted. And now we are seeing higher Democratic vote by mail turnout and Republicans showing up more um, in person on Election Day, perhaps maybe not trusting vote by mail anymore after all their politicians criticisms of it and so it's you're right it's interesting that they saved biden for a point in time when you would think that so many democratic voters had already voted voted by mail yeah i just want to say that he was actually this is the third time he i mean he was scheduled two other times to appear at a democratic rally i think once in tampa back in july that's when he got covid and then uh, right before Hurricane Ian hit in late September, he was going to come to Orlando uh, to do a rally. And, of course, he canceled that because the upcoming storm came back the next week, of course, to deal with the aftermath of right. Ian. And so, according to Politico, writing this morning, uh, Biden did this more as a favor to, to Charlie Crist. Uh, but, you know, you know, right. I mean, so many people have already voted again and. Um, say, you know, what you said a moment ago, Shelley, about the early vote, vote by mail. Um, yeah, I mean, historically, you're right. Republicans had always, because they really kind of, you know, pioneered this in Florida yeah. over the last decade or so with, with the vote by mail. Early vote actually had been more of a Democratic thing. You might remember, you know, the Souls of the Polls kind of event. Right. Uh, and, and, which is and this Sunday, which is this and, Sunday, and, always and the last think, Sunday of early vote. 2012, I think it was, when Charlie Crist. Uh, was, or excuse me, 2008, Charlie Crist was governor and Democrats were clamoring for more polls to be open and he did keep more open and, and that was when Charlie Crist kind of turned off some of his fellow Republicans back then, uh, because the early vote was such a big thing for the Democrats. 
But, yeah, as you said, um, it's, vote by mail has become uh, not verboten amongst uh, Republicans, but kind of like really uh, vastly criticized from the 2020 election and President Trump, right. former President Trump, decrying it as, uh, you know, people, uh, an, unf- an nefarious way of voting. Uh, and that's why it's more disturbing, or, you know, for the Democrats, it's more bad news than ever, because although they still do lead by with the early uh, or vote by mail, they are trailing actually an early vote and therefore are trailing overall to Republicans uh, with more than, you know, with several days, ago, less than a week now, I guess, with the election. And this did not happen in 2018. 2018, they had a lead going into uh, Election Day. Uh, right. They're trailing already right now. Right. I want to talk more about that. Wendy, can you give us some information about that, about turnout and where we stand now, at least locally? Uh, well, locally, turnout locally turnout is down. Um, I've been checking figures in the Tampa Bay area lately. Hillsborough yeah. County, for example, has seen less early voting and voting by mail ballots cast than at this point in 2018. Nationally, it's a different picture. The election seems to be drawing a lot of interest. Florida is something of an outlier. But the problem, again, for Democrats is Republicans normally win on Election Day. And the the way that Democrats have won in the last couple of election cycles is by piling up big numbers of early and mail votes. And unless Democrats, they're, they're still ahead in Florida in total numbers of, of male votes. And I think if you total both male and early, Democrats are still ahead, but not by the it's kind of margins. No. Okay, well, maybe I'm wrong on that. I haven't actually done the arithmetic. But the point is, unless they pile up a big lead early, which they're not doing, Republicans can expect to win on Election Day. I, I just feel I have a sense that, uh, you know, there's a huge enthusiasm gap among Democrats in this election. It's just, uh, you know, like in the zeitgeist, it's in the air. You know, people feel so beaten down, so discouraged. I, one of the things that um, I, I, I wonder about is, you know, did they peak too early? Did they Did they peak too early? I mean, a couple months ago, you had you know, much better polling numbers for Democrats than you have today. And even, uh, you know, right after Dobbs came out, the abortion case, for example, you know, the Democrats' polling numbers were much higher than they are today. Now it's, you know, all about gas prices. Well, USF just finished an informal but large survey of voter concerns. And what it found was that Far more voters are, say, the economy, inflation will affect their votes than, say, reproductive rights is the, is the top challenge. Now, yesterday you had Charlie Crist and Val Demings delivering their closing message. All about abortion. All about it? abortion and gun control. Then mm-hmm. Joe Biden got up, Mitch saw him, and he didn't talk so much about those things. What he talked about was the danger that he says Republicans pose to Social Security, Medicare, health care, and to basically government functioning. Well, the first things that you mentioned should be absolutely critical for Florida voters. I mean, we have so many retirees who depend on their Social Security, who depend on being able to afford their medications. You know, these should be winning issues for the Democrats in Florida. Why are they getting so little traction? 
Uh, I, I can't say. <laughs> well, what I you, can say you're is, my prognosticator, you and Mitch. Mitch, can you say, why are they getting well, so little traction? Well, I, I just find it interesting, right, because on federal candidates, say Kathy Castor, who's probably going to win re-election easily uh, in her district, but she is really pounding the benefits of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which right. President Biden did talk about last night, because it's going to be a, a relief on... Uh, prescription drug prices for those on Medicare beginning the next few years, uh, and also on the price of insulin. And that's something I've seen, you know, federal candidates do, Democrats, uh, in, in the state. But no, you're, you know, um, yeah. Yeah, the state right. candidates can't run on that, obviously. Right. You know? This is where, but, you know, I think, you know, to me, the story in Florida, right, and it's going to be the story even after this election is over, is that it's an affordability issue uh, with the, both the housing costs, uh, Rents rising in the Tampa Bay area and Orlando and other urban areas, uh, as well as uh, property insurance. Right. And I know Charlie Chris has made somewhat of an issue on that, but he, you know, it, it hasn't got resonance. Um, you know, Ron DeSantis has run, you know, a very strong race in terms of the whole freedom agenda and you know, right. the kind of culture war issues. Free and Florida. In, in, state, in state politics. And that is somehow, you know, uh, led the day here. And I think in part it's because getting the message out and when you're so uh, vastly uh, behind in fundraising as Charlie Chris is compared to Ron DeSantis, it is a bit hard to get that message out. Right. Let me bring in one of our listeners. I have David from Ocala on the line. David, you're with us? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, you're on the air. I was curious if um, your guest would speak a little bit about FBL and the ghost candidate scandal. Um, I just think that's shameful what happened with these ghost candidates and, and it just and, and I don't think it's getting enough media attention too. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that on this show uh, with Susan Glickman, who's a, a environmental activist and lobbyist in Florida. Um, who's been following FPL for a long time. Uh, if you go back into the WMNF archives from, what, uh, last month, I think, um, you'll find our show about, and we talked a little bit about that, and we did get, it's interesting that you say that, we got a number of callers who said we should do a whole show on that particular aspect of uh, FPL. Uh, Susan was more focused on why we were going to get our rates raised again, but um, yeah. Yeah, the FPL thing, I, I don't know um, that it is as influential in this, in the midterms as it was in the last election, uh, because um, the the uh, state senator who won on the basis of uh, the fact that there was a ghost candidate in his race, the state senator in South Florida, I don't, is he up for election again in this in this cycle? Mitch, do you know? You know, that's, that's the idea. I, I know that you're talking about um, that race. Um, I'm not exactly certain if he is running. That's, that, that's the way, Javier, Jose Javier Rodriguez, right? Yeah. The Democrat who lost in that race. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if he's running this cycle, um, David. I wish we could give you better information. Wendy, do you have anything to add on that? Oh, well, I think all the state senators are up because it's a redistricting year. Oh, right. Okay, right. So um, I'm not sure what we have to offer you on that, though. Um, no, that's cool. I, I just feel like it's the Roger Stone dirty trick to even do a ghost candidate scheme. I just think it's just awful. And it's just the state of our current Trumpist 
political system, I think. Yeah, I mean, we do know that, you know, a Republican, the Republican Party chairman from Central Florida, because they also had a ghost candidate scandal in Central Florida, um, in the Orlando region, uh, and their local Republican Party chairman was found guilty uh, but it was just of a misdemeanor campaign finance violation that was related to that larger scheme to siphon off votes uh, by uh, for a ghost candidate from the Democrat in that Orlando area state Senate race. Um, but, you know, he, this was just a misdemeanor and, and he got, you know, a year of probation and some community service. Um, but that was um, an issue in, Se- in Seminole County as well. I think those guys deserve prison time. That's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully that uh, uh, that investigation is ongoing because it all swirls around the uh, Joel Greenberg and and Broder and and a number of other people who were associated with that financing. So hopefully that investigation is ongoing and maybe we'll see more in the future. Thanks for your question, though. Thanks for calling. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thanks for listening. Um, I have a call from Steve in Largo. Steve, you're on the air. Hey, first of all, thank you for having the only truly progressive and intelligent radio station in Florida, maybe the whole East Coast. No, Um, (laughs) thank you. Yes, ma'am. Now, born and raised here, this state, I'm 65, this state has always been a corrupt, good old boys, white, racist, developer-friendly, environmentally destructive government, even Democrat or Republican. Pinellas County commissioners, Republican and Democrat, have made a county that when I was a kid was a tropical paradise, and they've made it into one of the most crowded, polluted, dangerous, road rage, noisy, uh, densely developed counties in the whole country, and they're going to keep on going until there's not one bit of open space left. The thing that has to do with politics and what you're discussing is, to me, Florida is like Fort Sumter in the Civil War. Florida is where there's a soft and hard Civil War already started. Confederacy 2.0. They are not using guns on battlefields like they did in the first Civil War. They are using guns, though. And I live in a middle-class neighborhood, and almost all of my neighbors are hardcore right-wing Trumpers. These are, many of them, educated people, otherwise nice and pleasant people. But they all are into guns. They all think women should be forced to carry babies to term, regardless of rape and incest. They all don't care about the environment. They all care about money more than anything else. And they worship, they literally worship DeSantis, Trump, and all the other mean, vicious, Maybe you need to move, Steve. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you need to Maybe it's time to move yes. oh, from yes. your I, neighborhood. I leave Florida Take a little place in South St. Pete or something, you know? Well, you know, I hear you, but Pinellas County itself, I just can't tolerate the crowding and the noise and the pollution. But I, I think that, we're almost beyond politics, especially if they get the supermajority. And I want all of us progressives to wonder, how are we going to fight back when we can't do it politically? What are we going to do to stop the fascist takeover of the United States? Well, you know, Steve, it's interesting that you asked that because I think I'm going to do a show in the near future about the historic anti-fascist movements in, in Tampa uh, during the pre-World War II era 
the era of America first and and do kind of a, an exploration of what was going on in the Spanish community and the Italian community. And, uh, you know, we'll see what, what people in Tampa, you know, did in those days and how, what we can do going forward. But right now, let's talk a, a little bit about Pinellas, um, gentlemen. Let's talk about yeah. some of these races in Pinellas. Um, like Eric Lynn. Uh, yeah. Eric Lynn is the Democrat running in Pinellas for Charlie Crist's former congressional seat that has been redistricted to the point that it it, it was redistricted so radically, I guess you could say, that that it, it caused uh, a number of other Democrats to drop out of the primary. Ben Diamond was in that race, former state rep. Ben Diamond, he dropped out after redistricting. Michelle Rayner, uh, current state rep and uh, running for District 70 again, uh, which is her redistricted race, uh, was in the race for the congressional seat. She dropped out after redistricting, and Eric Lynn has remained in. Um, what do we know, What do we think about Eric Lynn's race? Well, Charlie Cook, a Cook political report, um, rates it one of only three out of 28 congressional districts in Florida where there's an actual contest, where it's actually competitive, but he also rates it leans Republican. Now, the, the most recent polling I've seen in this race came from St. Pete polls, and it showed essentially a tie with Luna ahead by less than a single point. And right. That's the race, Eric Lynn and Anna Paulina Luna. Anna right. Paulina Luna mm-hmm. is the stone-cold Trumper, right? The MAGA, MAGA candidate. Yes. Um, and so, like I said, this, this, the race probably is at least competitive um, if the St. Pete polls polling is accurate. It's extremely competitive. Um, well, you know, there's hope, huh? Huh? Hope springs eternal. Well, it's And possible. Eric Lynn has some good financing, doesn't he? Uh, yes. I think one of the main things he has is that there was a, a pretty vicious Republican primary. Um, Anna Paulina Luna, Amanda Maki, and others. Uh, a number of uh, that alienated a number of Republicans, and then there are a number of Republicans who didn't like Luna to begin with. I think that's probably one of Lynn's biggest advantages. Mm. He's got a good personal story, a former prosecutor. Uh, he's basically got a good candidate persona for a moderate swing district, which he is was in Obama era. Fun- uh, he was in the Obama administration in some capacity, wasn't he? Yes, yeah. I can't remember exactly. The what. Defense Department. He worked, uh, I think, with William Panetta there. Okay. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, Shelley about the money. Yeah, I, I read this morning that over twelve million dollars has been spent in this race. Uh, I think mo- I haven't seen the breakdown, but I think most of it is coming from Lynn, a pack from Lynn. Um, and that is uh, fueling, I think, the fact that he's super competitive. I, I, I saw that poll that Wendy mentions, and I think that I think that you've got to still, if you were putting money on it, have to favor Luna. This was a plus seven Trump uh, district after it was re- reconfigured uh, when the map, congressional map of Ron DeSantis was uh, supported or voted on earlier this year. And that's rolled over said. on. You mean rolled over on? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, and, and, and who knows? And maybe it would be another couple of years, and maybe that that, that, that those um, districts will be thrown out. But nevertheless, that's what it is right now. And so, you know, that's why Ben Diamond, that's why Michelle Rayner dropped out. Eric Lynn, who uh, attempted to run for Congress back in 2016 uh, before Charlie Chris got back into that ran for that seat. Um, so he's wanted this for a while, 
And uh, I think it's really the you know Wendy makes some point. You know, Luna is a bit controversial, and you know Pinellas historically is considered a moderate. Didn't Pinellas area. go light blue last time in the last election? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, extremely light blue. It went by point zero one. Yeah, light blue, blue. Four, very four, light four, blue, kind of yeah, a I mean baby but, blue. But, but there's more Republicans now than there was two years ago. Just like there's basically more Republicans in every county, including Hillsborough County, mm. than there was a couple of years ago, uh, and so. Yeah, that is obviously something to watch. But he's over. He's, I think he's already overperformed in a way that that the fact that this race is competitive. Credit to him. Credit to the money that he's right. spending for all the ads. I just uh, can't. I just can't see Pinellas going for a, a mega, a mega co- candidate like Luna. But well, what's happened in that district, Shelley, is that um, the redistricting took out. The parts of South St. Petersburg that right. really that really added to the Democratic center of gravity in that district took them out and put them into Kathy Castor's district. Right, just basically, like the same thing with Michelle Rayner's house district. Basically, they're using Castor's district as a Democratic vote sink to yeah. take Democrats out of surrounding districts and and you know concede that district to Castor by huge margins, and therefore. Uh, republicanize the surrounding districts, but what that means for Eric Lynn is that a huge chunk of the Democratic voters that formerly were in the district are now out of the district, and uh, it has a different character than Pinellas County. It now has a different character than Pinellas County as a whole. In general, yeah. Let me take a call from Jack in Dover, who's been patient. Jack, you're on the line. Hi, Shelly. I just want to make a quick comment. Um, about the abortion issue, if that's okay. Sure. Well, I I don't have the talent to draw a caricature for, like, a newspaper, but I have this mental image of two women sitting across the aisle from each other on an airplane, and you see the overhead compartments, and when you erase away the outsides of their bellies, you see one is a drug cartel woman with the drug cartel tattoos, and inside her stomach you can see a balloon full of one kilo of cocaine, and then across the aisle you see another lady with a large belly, and you erase away her stomach, and you see a little baby in there with a balloon tied to her wrist, an inflated balloon that says the word rape on it. And my question to you, Shelley, is now that, or if it becomes illegal for women to have abortions, isn't that kind of, in a way, um, aiding in some way a crime? And you're forcing that on a woman, and and can they then legally, um, could a judge legally then say if a woman comes to court and says, you know, I'm the victim of a crime, and the judge finds that there's someone else guilty, can he then say, as part of the sentence, that she can now have an abortion? Are you asking if if that's the current state of the law, Jack? No, no, I'm just asking is, could that be a future state of the law? Can legally they add that into sentencing? Oh, I see your point. Okay. Well, thanks. That's a very disturbing uh, (laughs) hypothetical, but an interesting question. I will say that um, given our discussion of politics around the issue of abortion right now, that it's very interesting that that DeSantis has not uh, spoken out on his intention uh, or what, what appears to be his intention to bring further abortion restrictions um, to the legislature 
if and when he's reelected. I mean, he has not come out and said that he wants a complete ban, but he's allowing the electorate to believe that he wants a complete ban, right? I mean, that's how I see it. Mitch, Wendy, what that's do you think? That's take on your part, uh, Shelley. I, I, look, this is the thing. I think whether it's a complete ban or I'm hearing talk of a six-week ban, which um, uh, you know might be considered as such uh, a complete ban, sure. is, is what's going to be, you know, um, it's being pushed by, uh, quote, pro-life, and quote, activist in Tallahassee. Uh, and so yeah, the, the fact is that he's been so quiet on this, I think, is just uh, smart politics, right? Because um, whether whether he really wants to go that far, he's only made like one comment, I think, after the, the, um, uh, the, the abortion got overturned by the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, the federal right to an abortion, uh, where he's talked about we'll go we'll go beyond you know what, what the current law is, which is the 15 week ban, which of course is the first time we've really ever had restrictions here in Florida on abortion rights uh, since Roe v. Wade. So you know, he's, a, he's yeah, but he's he's consistent with most of the Republicans running for office today, at least in Florida, who avoid the opportunity to be questioned about any difficult. Uh, any difficult position that that the the electorate cares about, we've seen. Um, and Wendy, you and I have talked about this. We've seen Republicans refuse to appear at public forums and town halls and debates, um, and you know, just not. We have like stealth elections now uh, from the Republicans. They don't. It may be smart politics, but. It's not necessarily good for the body politic that we don't know where our uh, our candidates stand on very very important issues like this abortion issue. Is it is DeSantis in favor of a complete ban? Is he in favor of a six week ban? Uh, you know we don't know. Uh, our local candidates don't show up for our town halls and and political forums and debates. And the vote, you know, the electorate doesn't have a chance to question them about what they really are voting for. Uh, Right. We have talked about that, Shelley, and it's been a kind of a trend this year. Um, Republican candidates not going to public forums. In DeSantis' case, he has said that he's in favor of some tighter restrictions on abortions. He said that much and stopped. Since then, he's been asked repeatedly by reporters to elaborate what further restrictions and has simply declined to say. Now, the thing that's pretty obvious is he doesn't want to reawaken the issue that you talked about a minute ago that gave Democrats a boost in the polls after the Roe decision. Yeah. So, all right. I have Barbara on the air who's been very patient. Barbara, you're on the phone. Oh, you're on the air. Sorry. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Um, it's just something that I thought about uh, today because I feel like the cult members of the MAGA party are so deep in their own uh, nonsense. They need to be deprogrammed. And I think they need some help because obviously it's not good for our country with what they believe and they're being misled. Um, so, I'm wondering what you know how we could deprogram these people because I just watched on MSNBC a gentleman that's been interviewing them and they're just so way out and he's so totally dejected by the fact that they're so way out there and they need they need help they need to be deprogrammed I mean if there's a way to do it I mean I wish somebody would 
you know, put an organization together and help these poor people. Well, if that were possible, it's certainly not going to happen before Tuesday. But thanks for your thoughts, Barbara. I appreciate it. I, I, I don't have an answer for you. Um, I'm not sure that the answer's in politics. I don't think that the, the answer is in the world of politics. Um, well, I'm not saying it should be, you know, because when you'd be accused of whatever terrible things that, you know, people would, would, uh, would say we're trying to do to them. But I wish and there were organizations that could focus on this because it's an illness and these people need somebody to help them. I mean, they're way so far away out there that they, they can't find their way back. All right. Well, thank you for your thank you for your insights on that. Um, you know, I there have been many political movements over history, the Nazi movement. Um, you know, in Cambodia, all these genocidal movements, for example, where you could suggest that people were brainwashed um, and uh, you know that you know m- madly and uh, you know mindlessly following leaders into genocidal movements. Uh, I don't, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I think it would be interesting to study how societies emerged from those movements and maybe that would help answer Barbara's question. But I want to go back to to talking about Pinellas politics for a minute because I've got some, you know, text and, and emails here that suggest that, um, well, first of all, um, Sean wants to contest my suggestion that I couldn't believe that I can't believe that Pinellas would go for Anna Paulina Luna, um, saying that, well, look at the fact that uh, Pinellas has voted for Bill Arrakis over and over and over again. Which, well, that's actually Pinellas and Pasco. Uh, yeah, okay. Right. Pasco was always more conservative than Pinellas. Yeah. Um, and then Kelly, uh, Kelly O says, I just want to say that I know many registered Republicans who are voting Democratic and many, many independent voters doing the same. This gives me some optimism that Pinellas will stay blue and that Kristen Demings will win. Also, she says the new redistricting maps are infuriating. Yeah, well, we know that. Uh, But, you know, so Kelly feels that there are a lot of secret uh, votes for Democrats in Pinellas. you know, stealth you know, votes for Democrats. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What I was going to say is that, you know, I did a story about polling, uh, one of my first pieces when I got back to the Phoenix the last month, because in the last uh, two election cycles in Florida, 2018 and 2020, the pollsters really got it wrong. And they got it wrong in some cases nationally, too, but really here in Florida, because they under undercounted Republican votes, right? Andrew Gillum was leading by uh, almost every poll going into mm. the 2018 election. Uh, so was Bill Nelson. Uh, and in 2020, uh, Joe Biden was winning, uh, and I wrote this, like there was five major polls that had him up by four or five points. He was supposedly going to win uh, Florida, and, and he, uh, Charlie, excuse me, Donald Trump won by three points, right? And so pollsters have been realizing that in some cases, for whatever reasons, uh, maybe Republicans don't want to answer polls or what have you, that, that Republicans have been undercounted. So, okay, so now we're looking at these polls in 2022 here in Florida, and all of them show consistent solid leads now for both Ron DeSantis and uh, Marco Rubio in their respective races. Could there be a way where that's, are they overcounting Republicans? I mean, I don't know. about. I don't know either, but you know, what's so interesting is we had Steve early on, uh, caller Steve, who said that everyone in his neighborhood is a MAGA Republican. And now we have Kelly 
uh, from Pinellas saying that everyone she knows who was a Republican is uh, voting for Democrats. <laughs> so I think it's really, really, Pinellas is going to be really, really interesting to watch. And one of the what races that I think is really interesting in Pinellas is the state attorney's race between Bruce Bartlett and Allison Miller. Uh, I think that race is one to watch. It's really, it's, it's very interesting because it's always hard to run against an incumbent. And of course, Bruce Bartlett took over the position of, of state attorney from uh, the guy who was there for 40 years before he died and uh, Bernie McCabe and, uh, and now you have Allison Miller, who's the first challenger to the state attorney in Pinellas in something like 40 years. Um, but, you know, she has the same problem running against a state attorney as challengers to incumbent judges have, because in the legal community, nobody wants to run against an incumbent who they might have to face uh, on behalf of one of their clients in the future. And people, because of the disclosure rules about campaign contributions, the legal community itself is reluctant to contribute to the challenger of the incumbent because their names are going to show up on reports and they feel like maybe afraid that there will be some retaliatory effect uh, by the incumbent if the incumbent wins again. So I just think that that's a really, really interesting uh, race because it's it's so unique. It's extraordinary. And, you know, that office, Allison Miller's running as a reform prosecutor, much the same way that Andrew Warren ran right. against Mark Ober. Um, you know, she holds many of the same positions about criminal justice reform. And Pinellas is one of the most... Uh, antiquated and conservative state attorney's offices in the whole state. I think, uh, you know, they got email for the first time this year. Um, Shelley, if I could say something about that. Yeah. Um, the, the, you're, you're, all the things you're saying about Allison Miller are, are right and about the dynamics. I would just say this, though. This is not, again, just a Pinellas uh, district. This is Pinellas Pasco. Right, you're right. Pinellas Pasco, right. Mm -hmm. okay, so with just Pinellas, I think she'd have a fighting chance, perhaps. I don't think she really does because of the fact that it's Pasco County's part of this, and I don't know how many votes she's going to get up there, actually. Right. Yes, the Sixth Judicial Circuit is Pasco slash Pinellas. It's a race uh, that covers both counties. You're right about that. And, uh, you know, I think the Pasco part of it has really kept uh, that office stagnant for so long um, because the Republican incumbent, like I said, has not had a challenger for 40 years. So I thought I thought I think that's just you know interesting, um, and I you know kudos to her for taking on such a difficult race. I think um, another another uh, another topic that struck me was the the possible influence of the DeSantis felon voter arrests. Um, you know I've been hearing from people working at the election polling places that uh, people have come in and asked, talked to the clerks about whether or not they should take the risk of voting. You know, felons, people who, you know, admittedly uh, are convicted felons but believe that they have cleared their obligations and are able to vote, but they're too scared to vote. And, of course, you know, the people in the polls cannot advise them what to do. Uh, so they come in. They, they talk about it, they think about it, and then they leave and say, well, I think I'll come back. And then they don't come back. 
because they're so intimidated uh, by these voter arrests, which are clearly done for the purpose of voter suppression. Um, yeah, and you know, I, I agree. And this, is, this goes to the bigger picture about this whole issue, which is there's still, almost four years after Amendment 4 was passed in 2018, not a central repository portal for people to know if uh, they're felons, you know, if they're, if they're eligible to vote, right? And the voter suppression around this issue doesn't stop. Just this week, wasn't it, the DeSantis administration instituted a new form for felons on probation to sign that contains a sworn declaration by the felon that they understand that uh, that the the responsibility for determining their eligibility to vote is strictly on them and that basically if they make a mistake uh, they can't blame it on the state which doesn't have any central repository for this information. So anyway, there, there's, there's a now a sworn clause that felons have to sign that tells them that they're going to be responsible if they make a mistake in their eligibility. So what felon is going to take that risk and go ahead and vote? And this was just this week, I think, or the end of last week that they just did this. It's yet one more uh, voter suppression mechanism that they're using against returning citizens. Um, I just I just find that outrageous. Um, I have a uh, an email from Jane here who says I'm wondering if the abundance of Republican push polls are skewing poll numbers. I've certainly participated in these polls in Pinellas County. That's from Jane in St. Pete. Wendy, do you have any insight on that? Well, there are a couple of things. Um, what these are more likely to be than push polls is they're more likely to be message testing polls. Uh, in a message testing poll, you you actually do a statistically valid or attempt to do a statistically valid poll and you float negative attacks about your opponent to try to figure out which ones will push a voter from being in favor of your opponent mm. to being opposed to them. And it's an, actually an attempt by campaigns to gather statistically valid information. Uh, determines the message of the campaign. That's why they call it a message testing poll. Mm. A push poll is different. A push poll is not an attempt to gather information. It's simply calling voters under the pretense of doing a poll in order to spread a nasty rumor mm. about your opponent. Message testing polls are pretty common, uh, and push polls are comparatively rare, but they do happen. Um, and... Uh, if you, if you get a message testing poll, what it tells you is that the campaign that's putting that poll out is trying to design an attack on their opponent, and they want to know what's going to work. Very interesting. That's very interesting. Hey, uh, it, we welcome your thoughts and questions about the election, too. And if you have some uh, for our prognosticating political predictors, just give us a call at 813-239-9663. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org, or you can text us at 813-433-0885 and let us hear from you, too. I have John in uh, Port Ritchie on the line. John, you're on the air. Hey, thanks for the show. Uh, I want to go back to the felon thing. Um, I remember we passed the constitutional amendment. I went back and read the ballot issue. I didn't see anything on there that stated anything about any money. It said no, there wasn't. Their sentence, uh, probation, and right. something there, else. But there it had wasn't. To do with sentencing. So I'm kind of wondering, since there's no real 
central, would you call it, a, a repository for these people to go and look to see if they do owe anything? And I know it's really hard for these people to find this stuff. So would that be a basis for a legal challenge to, to get rid of that in the since it, since it well, it we'll has been it on that basis and also get rid of it because it wasn't in the original amendment. Well, thanks for your question, John and Port Ritchie. It was legally challenged and there was new legislation that added that business of must pay fines and fees to be considered a, a completed sentence, right? There was new legislation that was passed about well, yeah, that. Yeah, they, they call it implementing legislation. Yeah. And I'll say this about, that was so, as you know, as everybody knows, that was so controversial and the, um, 2019, after the amendment was passed, and the legislature, uh, Jamie Grant in the House and Jeff Brandes in the Senate, pushed that. But I will say this, because I, I covered that whole session. I was in Tallahassee at that time. And the fact was is that the supervisors of elections and the division of elections people said, we need, we need some guidance here, right? That's what they told legislators. They felt that the, the amendment as passed, they need, they need more gui- you know, guidance, essentially. To implement case, it. They gave the legislature the, the, the go-ahead, um, and as we know, of course, they, they've done this in other amendments passed that have distorted what was intended, or in some cases, maybe not ever fully implemented it. Um, but and that became a big hot potato. But um, you know, the and and was, you know, the the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition uh, guy Neil Volts um, admitted. Yeah. Uh, in a deposition, I think, under oath in this litigation, that yeah, they they meant. Uh, fines and fees as well, part John, of the completion. Yeah, John, John Mills, the attorney who uh, argued for it before the Florida Supreme Court, said that. Actually, yeah. Right. Right. So, okay. So, right. It was. It was kind of tough that, that when that. Yeah. They. Where happened. are they going to go? They made that admission. So yeah, you know. Yeah. But anyway, let me let me turn to one more topic before uh, we get too too close to the end of the show that um, I wanted to talk to you about uh, you both about new congressional district fifteen. Uh, Laurel Lee versus Alan Cohn. Laurel Lee for the Republicans, Alan Cohn for the Democrats. My first question for you guys is, why did Laurel Lee run and not Tom Lee run for that seat? I, I just, I, you know, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, he's been out of politics for a few years now, but not that far out and is still a major political force. And I just wonder, you know, why did, why did Laurel versus Tom run? And uh, the other question I have about this race is, is it now and will it always be all about the money for this seat? Because this is one of the most expensive congressional races because the way they gerrymandered this new district was to make it span across two media markets. You know, it spans across the Tampa Bay media market and the Orlando media market, which means that, you know, to cover... To blanket cover the district with with television ads is outrageously expensive, and so you know the the disparity in funding between Laura Lee, for example, and Alan Cohen this time makes it almost inevitable that the Democrat is going to be behind because they're always behind in funding is going to be behind every time, and uh, so those are some of the thoughts I had about District 15. What about you? What about you guys, Wendy? Uh, well, District 15 was designed to be a Republican district. In the original redistricting map passed by the Florida Senate, the uh, the new District 15 was contained, I believe, in, contained entirely in Hillsborough County, and it was much more of a swing district. Ron DeSantis' map 
um, made it a Republican-leaning district. As to why Tom Lee didn't run and Laurel Lee did, I'm not sure I can give you any kind of a definitive answer, but there are a couple of reasons. One would be Lee is... Uh, has an attractive candidate persona just you coming. You mean Laurel? Laurel, right. Laurel uh-huh. Lee uh-huh. has an attractive candidate persona, uh, a young-looking female, uh, designed to appeal to, you know, the better voter demographics these days. Tom, on the other hand, um, um, lost his last statewide race and hasn't had hasn't had political wins recently, whereas Lee was coming off of a tenure as Secretary of State where she was in charge of an election that Republicans praised as one of the best in the country. Those Democrats, are some, too. The Democrats, too. Yeah. Um, those, are, those are some of the reasons. If there's a deeper hidden reason, I'm not on it. Okay. Mitch, do you have anything to add about District 15? Is there any uh, chance for Alan Cohn in that district? I don't think so. Um, but, you know, the district actually wasn't... Uh, I remember covering Alan Cohen when he ran for this two years ago, right? Remember Alan Cohen and Adam Hatters? Yeah. Was a very contested Democratic primary because at that time, this was in the old district, they thought the way that district was drawn up, which had been always been held by Republicans, uh, going back to Adam Putnam, Dennis Ross, that somehow the demographics made it more attractive to them. Well, Cohen won the primary, and then he lost to Scott Franklin by 10 points. The old district. So I don't think that old other district was that more Democratic-leaning, frankly. Um and so I've heard, I think the Cohen people even put out early in this campaign that the demographics made it still uh, possible for a Democrat to win, or at least that's what they're you know, putting out there. But um, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like uh, it's going to go the Democrats' way. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. All right. What about the race in uh, Hillsborough for, between Janet Cruz and Jay Collins? I, that's one that is looking very shaky. What do you think? And quickly, so we can cover a little bit more before the end of the show. It is a little shaky. It's slightly Democratic-leaning, and Cruz ought to have an advantage um, from incumbency, from being a longtime political figure in, in, in Tampa. But there's been extremely heavy spending by the Republican Party on the part of Jay Collins. Republicans feel that he has a shot. In fact, some of the Republicans I talked to express confidence that he will unseat her. And that would be really devastating for the Democrats in the legislature. Uh, they would probably have a supermajority um, in the Senate, and uh, you know that would be that would be tough. That'd be tough. Mitch, do you have any insights on that yeah, one? I, I would say that um, I agree with Wendy. This this is going to be a tough one. You know, Jenny Cruz, you know, barely won in twenty eighteen, if you recall, when she by four hundred and eleven uh, votes. That exactly. means that every single vote really counts. She won in the recount. It was a hand recount by four hundred and eleven votes. Yeah. So so you know, it, it, uh, and, and Jay Collins is a, a veteran, right? Uh, and he's had some pretty devastating ads. I know Wendy wrote about like the last ad because I don't even know if it's a clue, completely accurate, but nevertheless it's really damning of Janet Cruz and I think it makes him look like this you know, heroic guy who was serving meals down after uh, Hurricane Ian in Fort Myers right. where she was somehow fundraising off of that. I don't know if that's even true. Wendy, you wrote about that. Uh, yes, it's not true that she was fundraising off of it. It is true that an organization that backs her and other Democrats um, had uh, set up a fundraising 
organization after Hurricane Ian? Uh, all right. So uh, locally, um, let's get back to a little local uh, politics. The county commission in Hillsborough, we have six people running. I think five, you know, five of them look like they're the incumbents are just going to sweep back in. And, and maybe maybe there's some wind under Angela Birdsong in her race against Ken Hagen because of that. I don't know. What do you think? Well, it's a little weird because all but one of the county commission seats were up this year because of redistricting. And you would have expected what, amount, what would amount to a Donnybrook over government, over control of the government of Hillsborough County. Instead, there's virtually nothing happening. Only one race, you mentioned Angela Birdsong running against Ken Hagen. Looks like it has even a chance to be competitive, and I certainly would not make Birdsong anywhere near the front runner in that race. A couple of other Republicans, including Scott Levinson, are running serious campaigns, but it seems extremely unlikely that there's going to be any change in the uh, county commission makeup because of these contested races. Yeah, Mitch, do you agree with that? I do. I also say regarding Hillsborough politics, uh, going back to the state legislature, Andrew Learned, I think, is, is, uh, is a tough race against Danny Alvarez. Right. Republican Danny Alvarez in the, in the um, HD 69 race. Uh, and, and uh, you know, that was a big pickup for the Democrats when he got that. I guess it was an Adam Hattersley seat a few years ago, right? Yes. Was a big deal winning out there in Eastern, Eastern Hillsborough County. Yeah. It looks like the demographics have been changing out there. Eastern Hillsborough is voting more Democratic as Hillsborough overall has been. But again, Overall, you know, I, two days ago, I don't know what it's like now, the early vote combined in Hillsborough was only Democrats plus three. And this is a, a county that has, you know, been very solidly Democrat the last six to eight, you know, years. Um, voted for Joe Biden by six points two years ago. And Republicans, like they are everywhere in Florida, are making inroads, even in liberal Hillsborough County. Yeah, Andrew Learned, though, has been a very, very much a centrist, moderate Democrat, right? He's a military veteran, Navy veteran. Um, He's all about fixing the roads. That has been, you know, the centerpiece of his platform. And uh, he's really been a middle-of-the-road, centrist, kind of even maybe conservative Democrat in his time in the legislature, which seems to, you know, be a good fit for that demographic in the Brandon-Fishhawk area where he's running. It's just that the ads, you know, the thing is the money is so much stronger on the Republican side, and so they can run these. I mean, I'm in analysis. I don't think, and I saw an ad the other day, uh, with Danny Alvarez ad, bashing on Learned. Yeah. I'm down here in St. Pete. Right. All right. Well, I'm so sad that we have to wrap this up, but I want to encourage everybody, if you haven't voted yet, please get out there and vote. Whoever you vote for, get out there and vote. You have until uh, Sunday to early vote in person. Your mail ballots must be received by the supervisors of election by election day, November 8th. It's not a postmark thing. It must be received. So you can drop off your mail ballot at any early vote site, or you can go to uh, the early vote site and vote in person. Um, so I want to thank my WMNF volunteers who make the show grow. go, Jessica Green on the sound, and Barbara Fling who answers the phones. And as always, I thank you, the WMNF listeners, for your interest and support of Midpoint. Um, Please stay tuned now for Talking Animals with Duncan Strauss up next. We are WMNF Tampa. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Mitch Perry. And we will be back next week.